From KYW News Radio, the Delaware Valley's news authority, this is Flashpoint. What's igniting debate online and in your community? I'm KYW Community Affairs reporter Cherry Gregg, and we'll run through the big issues of the week that are getting folks hot under the collar. Coming up on this podcast. Another push for gun control, this time led by the teenage victims. We are going to be the kids that you read about in textbooks. Philadelphia area youth are also rallying. If they could do it, why couldn't we? Students are learning how to be upstanders instead of bystanders. The effectiveness of youth-led movements, the race factor, and the consequences of speaking up. Doctors gave her just two weeks to live, but she's defying the odds. The people that say... Is weak. A North Philadelphia family struggled to save their daughter and her friendship with a superstar comedian that sold headlines and hearts. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. A Valentine's Day mass shooting at Parkland High School in Florida claimed the lives of 17 people. The circumstances surrounding the teenage gunmen sparked yet another debate over gun control, this time led by the students dealing with the aftermath. The people in the government who were voted into power are lying to us. The age of activists standing up for civil rights is getting younger and younger. This week in Philadelphia, 16-year-old Nasia Thompson-King rallied the Islamic community when she stood up after being told she could not wear her hijab during a basketball game. I would like to say thank you for all the support that I'm getting. It's very helpful. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Sharif el the principal at Mastery Charter School Shoemaker Campus, where they're training student activists. We also have Ella Adams, a seventh grader who was part of an anti-violence group while in grade school. We also have Dan Hart, a childhood studies professor at Rutgers Camden, who co-authored a book titled Renewing Democracy, A Young America. And on the phone, we have Elise Reynolds, a junior at UPenn that recently organized a protest against mass shootings. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to start with our youth here. First, Elise. Tell me about what you organized and why you decided to get involved. Some friends and I were sitting around doing our homework and expressing our frustration with this kind of cycle of a mass shooting occurring and then, you know, there being kind of a little bit of a murmur and then people going back to their lives and forgetting. So what we did is we asked people to come and hold signs and each sign had the date the location and the number of injuries and deaths in the mass shootings that have occurred since January 1st, 2017. And there have been 371 mass shootings. It was kind of shocking that we didn't even have enough people to hold the signs for all of these mass shootings. I'm hoping it's just the beginning of a much larger conversation. Ella, you were part of a group, an anti-violence group, and you guys made change in West Philadelphia. Tell me why you joined the group and what you all did. We just started studying about the um, shootings in Baltimore, Freddie Gray. We were, like, discouraged by it, and so we started to find ways to solve it. And we had marches. We also found a historical marker for the move bombing. These young people researched the move bombing. They weren't even alive when it happened and got a historical marker put up in West Philadelphia. Sharif, your school actually has a group that formed called Raise Woke, your kids are being trained to do this type of work. A group of students pulled together and said, you know what, we, we want to really be involved and engaged in activism. And our, and our mission is part of it is le- for students to be able to lead and serve in their communities. So 
all eighth graders take a course, a social justice course, where students are learning how to navigate systems and and stand up for the oppressed and be upstanders instead of bystanders. And what they do is they research child movements, child activists from both America as well as South Africa and seeing, okay, what can we learn from? A long time ago, all the way up through Black Lives Matter and, and onwards. Dan, you did some research. There's a lot of discussions about why younger people are sort of standing up now. Young people have always been at the forefront of political mm. movements in the United States. If you look at any of the recent or even more distant important civil rights movements. One issue that differentiates the movements that we hear about, the ones that are successful from the ones that may fade away, is the ability of youth to become connected to a variety of kinds of resources. They need connections to some institutions. They need sometimes some connections to financial resources. And when those things come together, youth can power really important social transformations. Elise, I want to ask you what feeling was provoked inside of you to say, you know what, we're going to do something. We're not going to sit by and let this go down without us at least speaking out. I was really moved and impressed by um, the students in Florida who had obviously just gone through this immense tragedy and were taking that grief and that trauma and using it to amplify their voices. And I felt like if they could do it, why couldn't we? Alu, do you think this helped with school? This was part of a history lesson. And then next thing you know, the history lesson exploded into y'all filling out an application for a historical marker. This is something very, like, memorable, something really important in my life. We first just thought it was, like, from a long time ago. And then we find out that it's happening today, currently. The stuff happening in the past should not be happening over and over again. We knew that it had to stop. Is there ever any concern? Because, you know, you get out there, you start protesting, arrests happen, all you could get suspended for... Walking out. Luckily that the school that I was at, they supported us all the way. They wanted us to do this. But yeah, in real life, you know, depending on where else you are, very hard and very dangerous. You know, sticking up for what you believe in, especially as a young person, you know, you may or may not get your point across. But, you know, it's definitely worth it. Elise, you're you're at Penn. You're a junior. Do you ever think about that when you're involved in these protests? You know, sometimes I think about what's going to come up when people Google me, you know, down the line, potential employers. But, you know, I do, I think, fully understand, like, the level of privilege that comes with being at Penn and kind of the, you know, especially staging a protest on campus. Like, I'm hoping that campus activism can really just start and kind of going out and really testing the waters more. Is that something you train the kids to deal with? What we try to really share with students is there are risks involved. Raising your voice, it's an opportunity. There's risk. There's also sacrifice in any movement and, yeah. and deciding. And I think one of the important things is people with privilege not always assume that people with less privilege or opportunities take the exact same risk. And so that's what a really like an alliance looks like. And I just have to ask the, about the issue of race here, because mm-hmm. the young people in Parkland are white students. Youth in other urban cities have been doing these protests for years. Why now and why these kids and anybody comment on that. Quite often, society as a whole looks at black children in urban areas almost that they deserve whatever it is that happened to them. You know, Black Lives Matter, the movement for black lives, there have been, you know, countless other groups of youth have stood up who tried and they did not receive this outpouring of support. We want to stand with the students in Florida and we want to make sure that we call attention to the inconsistencies in the American psyche. Is this a chance for you young people to kind of build the coalitions across lines of socioeconomic class, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully will be a time where, you know, 
we all work together and we all fight for what we believe in. Hopefully they can kind of acknowledge the disproportionate impact of gun violence around the country, specifically along racial lines, and that that can be something that doesn't divide us, but that brings us together. As we wrap this discussion up, I just want each person to give like 15 seconds. Do you see this movement growing? Is this the time? Will the youth be the change maker? And I want to start with uh, you, Sharif, and we'll end with Elise this time. I'm encouraged that our youth will continue their their efforts to lead this country to promote social justice and and be activists. I think they're we have a lot to learn from them. I think there's a good chance there's some progress already being made in Florida where the governor has acknowledged that there's a need for change and that's clearly resulted from the youth activism. And if the youth can come together and see themselves as a a powerful political force, they can do a lot of good in other areas as well. Ella. Yes, I think so and I hope so that this is a time where we can all really just like make a huge impact. Wonderful. And Elise, last word. I hope this moment really affirms for youth of all ages that, you know, that their voices are will be heard and that their voices matter because at the end of the day, that's how you create a really engaged citizenship that can go out and create change. Well, wonderful. I want to say thank you to Sharif Almeki, to Dan Hart, to Ella Adams, and to Elise Reynolds for appearing on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Next up, an eight-year-old North Philadelphia girl with a deadly diagnosis is melting the hearts of thousands. People that say can't is weak. The superstar that helped her story go viral and her family effort to extend her life. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one issue that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is sick children. And so it's no surprise that the story of eight-year-old Sanaya Bell has gone viral. Princess Nair, as she's called, is diagnosed with diffuse intrinsic pontine gliomas. It's a highly aggressive, inoperable tumor found at the base of the brain. It has a 0% survival rate, and doctors gave Naya just weeks to live, but she survived six months. And social media efforts to tell her story have gone viral, even catching the attention of comedian Kevin Hart, who flew in after the Super Bowl just to see her. Now her family is hoping to raise money for an experimental treatment in Mexico in an effort to extend Naya's life. Mom Cheryl Wise, Dad Tony Bell, and stepmom Latoya Bell are here along with Princess Naya. I just want to say welcome to Flashpoint to all of you. I heard about your family, the Bell family, and Princess Naya on Instagram. Tell everybody a little bit about what you all are dealing with and what you've been trying to do. So my daughter was diagnosed with DIPG August 16th, a day after her eighth birthday of disease that lies on the brainstem, which there's no cure, but there's a treatment. The treatment is considered radiation, which my daughter went through six weeks of trial of radiation, and symptoms are starting to come back now. What me and my family and the whole Princess Anaya's organization is doing now, we're making it aware. 90% of people never even heard of DIPG, and it's Because I had to look it up. Doctors, nurses, never even heard of that works in the children's field. I actually mm-hmm. went to multiple hospitals recording, asking conversations, and they have no clue of what I'm talking about because only 300 children out the year 
get diagnosed with it. Your daughter, born to her eighth birthday, y'all celebrating. What made you even think that there was an issue? Well, two months prior to her being diagnosed, she started to develop headaches, and her eyes started to cross, and her balance was off. Mm-hmm. So I took her to the eye doctor. Eye doctor said her eyes were perfectly fine. They recommended MRI, and after her scans, half an hour later, they said that she had a brain tumor. The, the doctor that diagnosed our child with it, they just researched about it, have no knowledge of where it comes from, how it occurs, and to deal with it. They send us to a different hospital to be treated for it because they had no clue how to handle it. And so this has been the craziest probably six months of your entire life? We have a trial in Mexico next week. We are, we're going on a tour there to speak with some doctors that focus directly on DIPG. To go to Mexico, the average treatment for a year costs us 300000 cash. Mm-hmm. It's 30000 per treatment. And she mm-hmm. needs, and she needs 10, 10 treatments. treatments. But that's just for treatment alone. So why do you have to go to Mexico? America has some of the best treatments available for most diseases, right? That's mm-hmm. what most Americans think. What did the doctors tell you about DIPG? The only treatment that they have was radiation. So what they tell us is basically get comfortable and prepare for the worst. They have no medical breakthroughs. But in Mexico, they have different medical breakthroughs that is extending children's lives called intraarteral treatment that they consider illegal in this in the state. And I understand that they inject directly. chemotherapy directly, directly into the tumor, which is something they don't do in the United States. No. They give you a dose of radiation that goes straight to the tumor. They try to enhance the life for more weeks or more months by shrinking the tumor that they already know is going to grow back. Because I understand that these tumors are extremely aggressive. They have no clue where it comes from. Yeah. None. But they don't have a cure to speak on it. And there's not enough funding for it. So they look at it as there's not enough people and their eyes are dying from it. So they don't feel like it's big enough to them. This is not a black disease, white disease. Have no, have no race. But it, it primarily hits children. Only between children. Only children between 3 and 11. Three and 11. It's a serious disease. And so, Naya, you are a very strong little girl, stronger than most adults I know. Who who keeps you strong? Mommy and Daddy. Yeah. Do you give your parents pep talks? Sometimes. And what do you tell them? (laughs) Isn't it something I always say to you when people say they can't? The people that say I can't is weak. And the people who don't say I can't is not weak. Good job. And so you never say I can't. It was a celebratory moment because the tumor had shrunk. Her last day of radiation was October 11th, and she was doing great since then. When did it change? We had a a skating party for her, which when we start to notice, her eyes start to cross. And then we scheduled an MRI and a CAT scan. (coughs) Today, we actually just came from the hospital just now to find out that, that it started to spread again. Even though we got what we got going on, we don't let that affect us because at the end of the day, the last person I have to say so is God. Well, I want to say thank you to Princess Naya for coming in. Thank you to Sherelle Wise, to Tony Bell, and to LaToya Bell for sharing your story. Please tell people where they can find you. Pray for the number four, Princess Naya, Instagram, Facebook. And Naya is spelled N-I-Y-A-H. Next up, she's a sweet force in North Philadelphia that refuses to use syrupy words. I don't sugarcoat nothing because these kids need to know it. Three ways a KYW Black History Month honoree is changing the game starting at her own front door. Radio.com. Radio.
Flashpoint.com. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community, and in recognition of Black History Month, we honored 10 community game changers, and one of this year's honorees was Helen Brown. Well into her 70s, Brown Sugar, as she's called, has worked as a community organizer for Project Home since 1995, where she helped get the community on board with renovations of the old St. Elizabeth Convent. Since then, she's changed the game for North 18th Street, starting at her front door. Miss Helen, welcome to Flashpoint. According to your nomination, you know everybody. Just about. Some of the things folks told me you did was you started an award-winning neighborhood drill team. Tell me about this drill team. They were doing double dutch, the kids, and they were making a lot of noise and arguing among themselves. And I said, listen, I don't need this loud noise and I don't. I need you all to do something that you can do together. So they said, will you get us a drill team? Not knowing what they meant about a drill team. I said yes. And we started from there, and we're still doing it. And we now will come up on our 24th year. Congratulations. Thank you. The other accomplishment to distribute Thanksgiving and Christmas food baskets and clothing. In addition to that, you manage an ongoing food pantry. You go to the door, <laughs> knocking on folks' door, telling them it's time to vote. A lot of guys just stand on the corner when we have election. I look at the sheet and see that they hasn't been here to vote yet, and I'll go round them up. So they said, man, come on, let's go vote, because we don't want no trouble out of myself. I was friends with their grandparents, their mothers, so I know them when they were small, all growing up here in the neighborhood. You keep residents informed, work with the utility companies, and obtain jobs for youth. They said that you helped get people scholarships. You help seniors. I'm a senior myself, and I figured the ones that can't come out and help themselves, I more or less get the kids in the neighborhood to go see what they need from the store, help clean out their backyards, or just whatever the senior need that they can't do themselves. And they said that you were the block captain? Block captain and committee person. They call you brown sugar, but you don't sugarcoat nothing. No, I don't. I don't sugarcoat nothing because these kids need to know it. Where did you get this drive to do so much? I have the drive, but when Project Home came, it was over to fulfill the dream and the drive that I've had for the neighborhood. And what was that dream? Try to make it better for the people who live here. And with Project Home, we were able to do houses for first-time home buyers and take some of the vacant lots clean them up, and make, like, sitting parks, Was just, and got rid of graffiti. At that time, graffiti was really bad. But through Project Home organizations, getting money to help us do these things, yeah. that was my mission, my dream. Do you feel like it's coming true? Yes. Yeah. We just got a new wellness center around the corner that has a dentist, a pharmacy, medicine, therapist. We're going to get someone to come in and do eyeglasses. That's wonderful. When you look out and you walk this block, how does it make you feel? They sometimes call me a crybaby when I see certain things come to develop. You have to live here to see what I'm talking about, to enjoy and see the joy. Well, I want to say congratulations to you, Miss Helen Brown Sugar. Brown Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Big Bubba. Yes, and now Game Changer. That's it for Flashpoint. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast for exclusive content using iTunes or the Radio.com app and searching KYW Flashpoint. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Benjamin Franklin once said, 
tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.